0: To the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me, as always, Josh Motenko, my twin brother. How's it going, Josh? It's going well, brother. Mike Minkoff with us. How's it going, Mike? Hey, hey, hey! How you guys doing? Doing well. We are talking about the state of the Celtics. They are down two to one after a big win against the Heat. Uh, we are going to discuss where they stand, how, how we view things at this point, whether. We think the Celtics can beat the Heat in this playoff series, and then we are going to preview the Game 4 matchup uh, on Wednesday at 8.30. Um, This podcast we're recording this uh, Monday evening, um, and it'll be out Tuesday. Uh, Mike, I want to go to you first. You were not on the last pod when we did an instant reaction to Game 3. What did you think of Game 3 and of our thoughts afterwards?
1: yeah so I, I couldn't make it i had a prior engagement with sleep um <laughs> i was sorry sorry to miss it though i, I listened the next morning I, I loved i loved your guys discussion uh i was so you know i both kind of shared some of your reactions and also came out on the other side so i think the big one was you know josh you were you were feeling not super positive and likening the Celtics basically how the game ended made you feel you, you felt you said you would have felt the same basically if the celtics won or lost based on based on the way the the game kind of concluded and then letting the heat get back into it is, is am i characterizing right at that more or less on point like you didn't feel great correct yeah do you still so, way, josh
0: yeah no i mean it's not like it was a loss right we got the win like that matters it matters in, in my psyche as well right but i don't i don't feel any different than i did in the instant reaction pod
1: so i i i it was definitely disappointing that the celtics let the heat get as close as they did at the end duncan robinson started doing duncan robinson things um that guy's just an insane shooter but i don't know it's in the in the time that's elapsed since the game, I I am feeling very good about the Celtics' chances for some reason in Game Four. Um, right now, I I think at the end of the day, Game Three confirmed that the Celtics are the more talented team. I think where I get a little uneasy is Miami obviously wasn't coming, you know, um, full tilt in for the majority of game three and we need to see that the celtics can uh weather that storm of a of a full bore miami miami heat team because the the question that lingers and this is what you guys touched on is is whether whether the heat have kind of the unquestionable mental edge over the celtics and if that's if that's going to remain enough to bring you know to pull them out pull for them to pull things out over the Celtics. And I I think it can like, I guess I came out of game three feeling more like it could go either way than I did after games one and two, when I thought the Miami heat unquestionably had the mental edge over the Celtics. And this was going to be a painful, painful series, but I, you know, the Celtics don't, if they're able to get into Duncan Robinson and cause foul troubles, like the Miami heat just cannot match up against the Celtics. So in, the, in man-to-man defense. So if if the Celtics and and I you know Gordon Hayward's gotten credit for this, I think a lot of players were making better plays. Smart was taking fewer unnecessary shots from the top of the key early in the clock, um, as were as were Tatum and and to some degree Kemba. Uh, they were getting it over to Brown on the wing so he could cut, and then he was being super aggressive and and played an amazing game. Um, if the Celtics are able to neutralize the Heat zone and not the other way around where the Heat zone is neutralizing the Celtics offense, then if this, unless the Heat have some other cards up their sleeves, if this becomes like a man-on-man matchup, I think the Celtics kind of unquestionably are going to win that.
0: You're talking about what happened on the floor, Mike, and, and I was watching some film breakdowns of Game 3. And I, I agree that, that um, Jalen Brown played aggressive in a way that uh, I haven't seen in this series yet, but that clearly he's capable of. And I think that, that made a big difference. Um, we also, the, the matchups looked a little bit different. They actually started Kemba on Jay Crowder um, instead of on Goran Dragic with Marcus Smart guarding Goran Dragic, which really hindered, I mean, Dragic had a terrible game. He was like a negative 29 for the game, something ridiculous. Um, and, and he played really well in games one and two. I think that really shifted things for the Celtics. Um, we discussed uh, that kind of a matchup, trying to hide Kemba on Crowder in our preview episode. And I, I remember, Mike, I was a little concerned. And then you said, oh, no, if they want to throw it to Crowder in the post on Kemba, I'll take that every single time. And I completely agree with you.
1: Yeah. So can I just pause? I mean, if if uh, you bringing this up, like, Again, I'm, I'm like a schlub just talking on a podcast. It was obvious to me that Kemba Walker should not have been guarding Goran Dragic in game one. How is that the choice that Brad Stevens made yeah. for the first two games? Like that, I mean, look, we all love Brad Stevens, but that is a, that cost us that that significantly contributed to, to costing us two games. Like that's kind of inexcusable. And I don't, you know, Kemba is the type of guy where you can, he's not going to tear apart a locker room if he gets an unfavorable defensive assignment that hurts his pride a little bit, right? He's not, he's not going to throw a stink that's going to like totally corrode the locker room. And Brad Stevens as a coach needs to be able to read that, read the personality of the player and, and make the decision that puts the team as early as possible in the best spot to win. Like Marcus Smart on a really imposing offensive player should not be like a mid-series adjustment. You start the series with that one. <laughs> I propose mm-hmm. Jason Tatum. I still think that could have been uh, an effective approach given how well Tatum did against Lowry, but um yeah, I mean I I think you're spot on. I don't think it's an accident that you put Marcus Smart on Gordon Dragic and he has by far his worst game of the series.
0: And I mean Crowder is going to just be shooting threes. That's his role on offense. He's not doing a whole lot else. Uh, Same for Duncan Robinson, and their gravity is really important because they allow Miami to uh, have an advantage in the pick-and-roll action, especially against us when uh, we've been icing the pick-and-rolls where Tice drops back. Um, And in in games one and two, they really dominated us with Bam either diving to the basket um, and dunking or finishing an alley-oop, or him diving... uh, but not going all the way to the basket and catching a pass in in the, the uh, foul line area and then uh, passing out to the wing or the corner. Um, and and they were just destroying us with that. Um, the other big change that I saw in game three was, and, and this was obvious to, to my also novice eye, uh, we took it to the paint. And I saw a stat that, um, we had 60 points in the paint in Game Three, which is tied for the most in a playoff game in the last 20 years, according to ESPN. Which is a shocking stat.
1: So this this one, and and Josh, I'm I'm curious what your your take here. This is a stat that I'm most unsure about its significance because the the what I couldn't tell in Game Three is how much of the Celtics performance really was them coming out way more aggressive versus the heat, just not ever bringing the aggression. Like we saw maybe a minute or two, I felt like it's aside from the last flurry by the heat. um, But a minute or two of like actual gameplay through the first three and a half quarters of the heat, like starting to be a bit more intense and bring it. And then the Celtics kind of, Stopped uh, a couple of the runs with some timely shots, uh, notably most of the time by Kemba, um, and then the Heat kind of seemed to be going through the motions again. Or depending on you know which commentary you you review or with what the which announcer you were listening to, uh, or the Celtics were just bringing the aggression back. So Josh, were you seeing the Celtics really be being just out aggressive? The Celtics were being more aggressive, but was it because they brought so much aggression, or was it because the Heat didn't bring much aggression?
0: Yeah, no, I know what you're saying.
1: Uh, I think the Celtics. <laughs> I got there. <laughs> kind I of. think the Celtics
0: versus the zone needed to break the zone by driving into it, right? You guys have heard me talk about finishing off of two feet versus finishing off of one foot, and how it's you're more likely to get a foul call off of two feet. You're going to go up stronger off of two feet. But the main advantage of that is when you jump off one foot, you have the amount of time it takes you to land your jump to make a decision. If you stop and you pivot a couple of times and you go off two feet, like now you can ball fake, you have three seconds now in the paint, right? And that whole idea is just a continuation of getting in there, getting into the paint. Um, every time, Every year that I've coached at the college level, we've tracked the number of paint touches per game. Um, and we were always trying to get into the forties and fifties and paint touches per game at the college level, 40 minutes. Right. So, um, you know, anytime you can get in there against a zone, it basically allows for a kick out and now the zone has turned into a closeout, and therefore a man to man in just cause it's in rotation. So it's extremely important for you. to get in there.
1: Cause The like at the ends, especially at the ends of games one and two, what we were seeing with the heat zone, like, you know, Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler and Bam were all over the place across like the entire top of the key. And they're so and they were closing up those gaps immediately. And I just didn't feel like we saw nearly that level of activity defensively from the heat at any point. So I can't. So it's like, yeah, Jalen gets credit for sure for like hitting those seams, hitting them hard, hitting, making really quick decisions. Uh, having Gordon Hayward back was useful. The ball actually moved; it didn't stick, and so it put people in better positions when they were catching the ball. Um, but I also just felt like the Heat's activity was so much lower. It's a little bit hard to judge how much credit we really should be giving the Celtics.
0: So as I said, uh, sixty eight points game three they had 46 in game two only 26 in game one I'm not sure if that's a the 60 I mean I think that has to be an outlier and there's going to be a return to the mean which may it may have been so high Micah because like you're saying that the Heat just didn't bring the same intensity in game three so I'm sure if you're on the Heat coaching staff you're talking about how the Heat didn't bring the intensity and the Heat didn't show up in the same way defensively but if you're looking at it from the Celtics perspective you're congratulating yourselves for getting into the paint and maybe there's learning involved in seeing the film from game one and two and knowing what you need to to do differently and how to get in there differently. Um, I think the answer usually in those situations lies somewhere in the middle or it's both. The answer is probably both. Um, But I think that, that when you have a team that plays each other over and over again in a seven game series, eventually you figure each other out and it's about who can adapt and who can both close out games and and play like a veteran and who's got more talent, right? We've got the more talent. They, they know how to close out games. So I I think, I think we know what we're going to get from this series, which is going to be, it's going to be a long series. And, and, you know, the Mike, you were talking about at the beginning of the pod, how you're, you could kind of see like in game three, that we've got a shot now, And I and that we're the more talented team. Like Game Three revealed that for you, and I felt like I saw that at at halftime of Game One. You know, we were up, and it's not just because of that. But even when we lost Game One, I was like, we're still the more talented team. Like that's been obvious the whole time. It's just about whether we can execute and whether the Heat rolled over or not. We showed we could execute in Game Three until the fourth. Yeah, that
1: that was a piece. I I should have been clear. That was a piece that revealed it. Like i i was i was not uncertain about the talent i was uncertain about our ability to to keep i'm still uncertain about our ability to to meet the heat at their at their grittiest um but i thought we responded in a couple of big moments in game three i thought (laughs) you know i was i was monitoring twitter uh in real time during the game and uh, there were some folks that were kind of besides them, themselves about Brad Stevens not calling a timeout as the Heat got the the lead down to I think it was eleven or nine towards the end of the third quarter over over a couple of minute stretch. Um, and the Celtic, you know, I think this is where Brad Stevens pushes a lot of Celtics fans pretty routinely. He he pretty firmly believes in his philosophy that the players need to figure it out and he's yeah. not going to kind of bail them out with a rim uh, with a run uh stalling timeout. Um and and the Celtics kind of were able to collect themselves there at the end of regulation. They were able to weather the storm of the heat coming back. I thought those were important. Uh, I mean, that's a little obvious, but um they they revealed to me that the Celtics may in fact be able to kind of stave off the heat when the Heat are at their fiercest. But I, I don't think we saw a lot of the Heat at their fiercest in game three. And so that remains a question for me.
0: So that's really interesting, I think, that, that whether Stevens should take a timeout in that situation or not. I would almost argue that if you can have a player steady the team on the court and you don't have to step in as a coach and take that timeout, now you're ready to win a championship with the level of talent the Celtics have. If you have to take a timeout in this in that situation because of the maturity of the Celtics, with the talent we have, maybe you're not going to win a championship this year.
1: Well, I think Brad Stevens would agree with that statement, which is right. why I think he doesn't call that timeout.
0: And so how do you force the amount of maturity we need to see in young Tatum and these other guys to be able to win the championship right now, this year? Right? It's got, it's little, it comes down to really little things like that. And the locker room is, uh, incident... Uh, with Marcus Smart storming out, questions about whether he and Jalen Brown needed to be separated, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody I'm pointed sorry. It down.
1: This is the most absurd story in the world.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it, it captured a lot of attention. I mean, when you go down 0-2 after having the leads that they did, 13 and 20 or whatever it was in each game, uh, you're going to have people be upset. And can we just chalk that up to bubble boredom
1: for media members?
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. I Not wanted sure. to say, and here's how I would phrase that, Mike. It's like, these are people who've never been in a locker room mm-hmm. and right so they hear there's a fight in a locker room and someone comes out screaming and they're like "Ooh!"
1: i mean i don't it's work ridiculous. in a high stakes uh in an in industry where the competitive stakes are nearly as high as the nba and i yell at my colleagues sometimes like come on <laughs> like something goes the wrong way you're tired it just happened you out, you you know you actually care about it and you want it to go well you might lash out it might happen if you're Marcus Smart who's like we've all talked about ad nauseum how he's the most like competitive guy in heart and hardened soul of the team yeah it might it might be turned up to eleven in the famous uh, words of spinal tap but that's all good and that like Jason Tate, I mean I thought everyone said the right things after but I I just found the story to be like just kind of cliche media overblowing. Things that that really merit little attention. From Adam,
0: I, did you have something to add about it? Uh, I just want to say, from an HR perspective, Mike, it sounds like you are creating a hostile work environment for your employees, and and uh, I'd like to offer my consulting to you if you are willing to pay my fees. And I'll add that I think Mike, you know, you're a little difficult to work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that.
1: Um, and I mean, and uh, no Motengo consulting services are of interest <laughs> to me. <laughs>
0: I, I think that the, that locker room incident was totally overblown, but I, I want to come back to it because Marcus Smart finally uh, spoke about it. Um, he, he was the one important player in, that, in the middle of that that didn't speak about it. And I do think that um, there is something to be said for the questions um, that were raised as a result of the incident about how well is it, is, are the members of this team getting along Why are they losing these leads in the way that they are? And do they have the grit and and the focus that it requires to win a championship? Because the Heat does. They're showing it. Um, Toronto did, uh, and we were able to overcome that with talent. Um, But the Heat are going to keep coming and coming and coming, and we cannot back down. It's going to be who is able to withstand that. Um, So, Josh, I I mean, Mike, you mentioned that you're you feel better after Game Three than Game Two for for obvious reasons, Josh. You sound pretty pessimistic. I I just want to share a couple of stats. Um Wait, Adam, uh, let me let me comment on what you said just now about like whether the team likes each other. Real quick, I can't remember who it was, but there was a a I believe a media member in the bubble who had been there since the beginning and was kind of talking about how well he saw all of the teams getting along and like the type of culture that they had in the bubble and that there was a lot of teams in the bubble philly being like the main one or one of the 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 most disgruntled of of the teams they didn't want to be there yeah yeah you heard that too maybe um and that you know the two teams from the eastern conference that were the most together and seemed like they actually wanted to be there were the heat and the celtics so Unsurprising that they are. I think that's evidence towards the you know the Celtics chemistry being what we think it is. Yep, and and we'll come back to this. I I just want to share a couple of things to to combat your pessimism, Josh, uh, courtesy of Sean Grandy, um, that I think are are some positive signs. So number one, he he tweeted out um, that it's worth reminding everybody that the last two Eastern Conference champions, Toronto in 2019 and Cleveland in 2018, were both down 0-2. In the conference finals, and they came back to win. There you go, Sean Grandy. I like it. Secondarily, Josh, do you know the percentage of time in these three games that Boston has held the lead? I would say probably 60 to 70% of the time. 75% of the time, Boston has had the lead. Miami's only had it for 20. I heard that we've had the lead or we've won the first half in like the last seven or nine games in a row or something like that, mm-hmm. too. Mm hmm. So um, both are, are signs that the Celtics are not out because they dropped the first two games. Um, I, I mean, that's 75% of the time that they've had the lead. If we can just overcome uh, this this taking our foot off the gas issue, we'll be fine in this series. Um, I want to share a few things related to this group that we've seen after, uh, after game two and, and then after game three. And, and if you'll... Let me, I'll just kind of take a pause after each one and and in case you guys want to jump in, um, but there's a number of different things I want to mention um, that relate to Celtic's pride and my pride for this group. Sound good? Let's do it. Okay, so um, this team, Josh, you mentioned that they seem to want to play together and that you know, the, the locker room issue aside, they have shown nothing but a desire to not just play together, but hang out together. Um, and and there, there are a number of things that have been an indication um, of, of how I feel about this team. And, and really at this point, I mean, we said this season was a bridge year, a growth year that we did not expect them to contend for a championship despite what's happening now. And I'm just choosing to love this team for where they're at now uh, and how they're playing. Um, so Brad Stevens said after the game, I told staff, this is game three, I told the staff and some of the players before this game that the result doesn't really matter to me. It's more about like, what are we going to show ourselves to be? And I thought that we were really we were a really special group, a really good group. And the first time we were pushed to more emotions that challenged us, we got better. And that's encouraging. It just took a bunch of good people committed to each other. There's no special talks or rah-rah speeches. It's who you have in the locker room, and are they committed to each other? Everyone gets pushed to emotions in sports. I was curious what would happen tonight, but I didn't have much doubt. This group has some really good character. Any responses to that? Reactions?
1: No, I mean, I think... Well, aside from again thinking that kind of the the story in and of itself was a little overblown, on I, I I agree. I think I think you when you get pushed when you're um, when people get frustrated if things don't go the way you want them, it, it's how you respond, how you react in the aftermath. I thought, I mean, you know, Marcus Smart is what 24, 25. Jalen Brown is 23. Jason Tatum is 22 if you look at the the way they've answered questions and the response it's it's not that they're just not avoiding the issue their answers are dripping with maturity like Mm -hmm. emotional maturity um sophistication character like it's just awesome i i i I can't remember i think jalen brown said he said something along the lines of when talking about marcus smart you know he's like i love him we love him for who he is um and i i don't remember exactly what the the preceding descriptor was but obviously it was talking about his passion and his you know kind of the his energy and fire um
0: i've got some quotes here if you want to hear them
1: if if you've got that one at the ready fired away but but just to to cap the point it it's i i think you can't you I'm. I find myself just deeply appreciating the the kind of emotional maturity, um, and character and poise of especially those those three. Um, I think Jalen Brown like gets the kind of A plus 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 gold star. He's just kind of transcendental on that front in my eyes. Um, Jason Tatum has a different type of kind of emotional maturity and 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 general maturity for his age, uh, but it it doesn't quite connect to team culture and leadership in quite the same way for me. Um, And then Marcus Smart is a little more volatile, uh, but his character is unquestionable.
0: And so 95% of the players and teams in basketball have the opposite issue. You're taking people who know what to do on the court and know how to win games, and you're trying to get them to evolve emotionally and in terms of their emotional intelligence and that type of maturity, um and and their identity comes you know into play there as well and however like those teams may be more likely to have a fight in the locker room after the game or a fight in practice i feel like with our team like there probably weren't many fights if any in practice throughout the year uh and i i look at it from a different angle as well as like this isn't like in the Celtics facility that this is going on or even in an, are- an NBA arena. Like if things were thrown and broken in that room, like you're in a hotel, like you're, <laughs> you're not in, in your own space. You know, you're, you're paying for what you broke. Uh, you're ashamed of that. You got to go apologize to somebody like you're, you're in a public place in, in a certain sense. Um, and, and I think it's good for high intellect, high character teams to be like feisty enough and gritty enough to to maybe come to blows or to or to have an issue like that in the locker room i think it says something because often with those types of high maturity high intellect athletes you're not dealing with with guys who are also ready to to fight and going to stand up for themselves in that kind of a way because they're smarter than that you know so it's just an interesting mix and we're, we're just waiting for these young guys to mature with their iq on the court so let me throw a few things at you guys. That, are, that are a few examples of uh, this cult, this character that this team shows, as well as some some positive signs. So first and foremost, Gordon Hayward is back, and he can only get better from here in terms of uh, his his ability to to play in a comfortable way in these games um, with with more energy. Uh, after the game, he said, "It felt weird to be out there. I just tried to impact our team in winning ways, whatever I can do." First five minutes, I was gassed. I'm extremely tired right now, and my ankle is pretty sore. Uh, I think that he's he's only uh, this rest these these three day three four days rest are going to be huge for him. Um, he played 31 minutes, which was probably more than they expected, but we needed him. He was such a steadying presence for us. Um, I love that he was he's coming off the bench because he's able to help. That that's the weakest part of this team, and he's able to help steady us at, at a time when we tend to struggle the most. And Jared Weiss had some really interesting points in his article uh, in The Athletic, pointing out that Hayward's it was his savvy defense that made a huge difference in the game. He, he has the ability to guard one player while hedging to help in multiple facets. He's thinking one to two passes ahead. He's helping on mismatches, um, which uh, while still being able to recover quickly to, to his guy, uh, he guarded Adebayo when Cantor was in the game. So that he could then switch off of autobio and there would still be a defender, Cantor, waiting for Autobio when he went rim running. He picked up Kemba Walker multiple times. Kemba slipped on the floor on a wet spot on the floor a couple of times. And then there was a mouse in the house situation. And he's just playing with this savvy that even though he was likely slowed because of the ankle and because of his wind, um, you know, his, his counting stats were not that impressive. But he just made a huge difference um in this series and, and on Hayward, Kemper Walker said uh that his return changes a lot because he's able to guard a lot of different guys, which helps us and he's big for us on both ends of the floor. Like I said, and I can't say it enough, we really missed him physically and we miss his voice, his presence. It was really good to have him back. Young Tatum on Hayward said, it's crazy that anyone would think we're better without him. We're so much better when he's out there and so much more dynamic so much more versatile when he's out there. So it felt great to have the full team back. He played great in his first game, and he's going to continue to get better, uh, get his feel back. So to have him back is everything. Uh, He later said uh, also on Hayward, his decision-making, his ability to make plays for others and for himself, it just opens up the floor so much more. Uh, They've got to respect him. So it's just having a bunch of guys out there that you really can't help off of because everybody can shoot, knock down shots, make plays. I think it makes it tough. Uh, Jalen Brown um, said, "Just having an extra guy who can make plays is, was huge for us. He had some big plays during this game, and he's only going to continue to grow." Um, and and I thought um, Tatum, who struggled, uh, who has been struggling throughout this series, despite a really good stat line last game, Um, he he seems to be pressing to me, but in this and and struggling with his outside shot. But in Game Three, he went back to the passing that he uh, displayed in the Toronto series, which has really been just another leap for him over the last month or two. Uh, Him showing cross court passes, making reads, and going to the second or third option. Uh, So let me pause there. In
1: in the first half, that was that was one thing that that uh, didn't come up in the the conversation you guys had in the immediate aftermath. But so Tatum Tatum had um, I'm I'm he had a great line for the game i think it was 25 no 28 15 and 7 or an 8 um, something like that uh, so he had eight assists but seven seven of them came in the first half um, and i think this josh is why you uh, and and you, brothers motenko both are inclined to continue to call him young jason tatum or young tatum um, i'm not i'm not sure i'm quite there yet but uh uh the fact that he only had one assist in the second half does show that he he does still kind of tighten up. He doesn't quite have some of the, the maturity. And this is what we talked about, I think, even before the postseason and why Adam and I at that time were more skeptical than you, Josh, about the Celtics potential to to win the championship this year. Um, because, you know, we we didn't see Jason Tatum as being where he ultimately will need to be to lead. Uh, the Celtics to a championship, and same with Jalen Brown. Um, but they're both teetering awfully close <laughs> over the course of these playoffs to getting to those, the, that level, uh, which which is happening faster than I, I anticipated, for sure.
0: Yeah, Young Tatum's going to have that nickname until he, he shows the maturity consistently over a series. We know that Young Tatum's going to show up in a, a winner-go-home game with his purple armband. And his yellow shoes and his Kobe, you know, thoughts. And that's all fine and good. And if he delivers, that's all we could ask for. But um it's gotta happen consistently throughout a series for him doing that, knowing that he's gotta put the team on his on his back a little bit and make the right decisions and the right reads. It's like you have to be a fundamentally sound player to 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 be able to win the possessions you need to win in a playoff series like this. Um but Adam, do you have a response to that? Because I got something to to say about Hayward go ahead with Hayward so here's what we know we know that Gordon's Hayward wife his wife didn't like the mustache and wanted him to shave it you know he publicly said he publicly said that he grew it out while was while he was in the bubble because he wasn't with her and she'd make him shave it that's what he said early on then he never did right he was able to go home it was still there in the Instagram posts and and I called it that that like this was going to happen. Here's how I see it playing out. They're watching the Celtics games. They're watching them lose on TV. And she leans over and she says to him, Gordon, it's time for you to go be with your other family. They need you more right now. And he comes back and it looks like he's not going to go to the birth. I mean, that's that's what all indications are saying. No, he's not. He's not. And, and the stash is still so strong. So, Adam, what's your take on this from like a family relationship perspective? I, I love the way you you just channeled Bill Walton with your impression of of um, Gordon Hayward's wife. What's her name? Robin. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think any of this really matters. So that's why I've enjoyed joking about it. I, I'm a huge fan of the Stash. They're coming back. Get ready, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate the Stash. I make no mistake, it's a hipster mustache. I don't like it one bit. It's all hipster till it goes mainstream. I think it's all playing out like for their family decisions, the way it's supposed to for the Celtics to win. I mean, Robin said that uh, that uh, that they made the decision that because he was able to spend time at home, that he was going to stay through the birth. And and uh, I mean, clearly this team has a shot to win a championship, and that matters to Hayward and Josh. I wouldn't be surprised if the things that you said in a previous podcast of the family sees him and how important it is. Uh, to him, to be with the team, and how difficult it is for him to not be there. And they also got really good time with him, so it makes it feel like it's a family decision uh, for him to stay. I mean, as important as being at the birth of your child is, I can get both perspectives there. And it's it's interesting to see like these players gushing about about Hayward. Like once he's gone for a month, and it was a whole month. Now you, you miss the things that maybe you, let's say if you were on the team last year and you were maybe in the camp of like Gordon Hayward gets a little bit of preferential treatment from his college coach, Brad Stevens, and, um, you know, they're giving him the starting job, even though he's been injured so much and hasn't earned it as much as other people, like if any of that has carried over and anyone is the slightest bit bitter, missing him for a month when you really need him and then he comes back and you see how steadying he could be with such a minuscule stat line it's it, that's pretty cool too i think Josh, you don't know what you we say, have until it's gone
1: when you say players you're referring to yourself right just just no as, as far as uh, changed impression of gordon hayward <laughs> no I'm, I'm talking about anybody
0: who marcus uh, morris or uh or uh terry rosier might have rubbed off on yeah
1: it was uh, yeah i I definitely think those were well i think rosier in particular was leading the charge on the team last year and complaining about hayward he was pretty open about that when he did his uh postseason circuit on like espn but um i
0: actually think those dudes had a point i think gordon hayward was getting some preferential treatment and, and i do think he should come off the bench right now i agree with all of that and mike if you wanted to go back to find old audio of josh putting Gordon Hayward down in the middle of the season, I would not stop you.
1: Yeah, unfortunately I don't, but rest assured listeners it's out there. Um, <laughs> uh, but the one that I would say, I mean, I've, I've always been not like super, super high on Gordon, but I've been pretty positive on him. And I think it even just watching, it. Like it was pretty revelatory, at least against this heat team and this own defense, just how, how much more smoothly the the offense flowed and the ball moved, and you know, there's only so much uh, watching Shamiojle and high leverage playoff games that uh, a, a Celtics fan can take. Uh, so maybe maybe it was that specific juxtaposition really added to it. Um, but it was it was really nice to see kind of the the Celtics roster back with its full complement of players. Um,
0: Mike, Shemi with a negative 21 net rating in this series, by far and away the worst on the Celtics. I'm I, I am shocked. I am absolutely shocked. Oh um, man, I was going to look. I was going to do the research on on like how uh, how many games we've won without Shemi Ojale, or what the results were when he didn't play at all in the playoffs. I forgot to do that before this pod. Um, I'm sure there are a number of things you should have done before this pod. Uh, the reason his, it's, he, it's so bad is because their offense completely plummets when he's on the floor. He's only shooting 25%, both efficient field goal and true shooting, and, and their oof, offensive rating is, is like wow. 89. It's, it's, it's not good. He's playing yeah. for the other team. <laughs> he is. It is. He's shooting on the wrong basket. <laughs> he is a non – you can't pass him the ball on offense. And so now, all of a sudden, you're you're. It's like, it's like being in the hockey penalty. You're down a man.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, and and we don't need to. I mean, we don't need nope. to. We can pile on Shemya Ojale, but we don't need to. Um, but uh, I did have some other rotation questions that, that that you guys didn't touch on that I was kind of curious about your thoughts on and, from the reaction of Game Three. Can I, um,
0: can I? Can we come back to that?
1: Yeah, sure. So I just want to close up the, some of these
0: the positive uh, uh, pieces here um, and, and specifically to hit on Marcus Smart, um, who was at the center of that, the locker room incident, whatever you want to call it. Um, Grant Williams, there's a, there's a really good article on Celtics blog that came out two hours ago um, that were with some quotes from Marcus because he finally spoke. Um, but Grant Williams said of him, Marcus is our heart and soul. He's the guy who keeps us going, keeps us inspired, keeps us being competitive. That's what he was doing in the locker room. That's why he was so upset. And Marcus said, we grew up even more through that adversity. I've always said that before you see the rainbow, it has to storm. For us, that was a storm, and we had to go through it. Families fight. For us to be able to respond, to show that growth, it showed a lot. Not only being able to express myself, but also being able to listen to my teammates in that meeting. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to what my coaching staff has to say and just really taking it all to heart. And there's been a number of, um, of posts on Twitter. Uh, there were, <laughs> Jared Weiss posted a video of Marcus Smart and Ennis Cantor uh, kind of wrestling out, outside of this pool and Marcus eventually like pushing Cantor into the pool. Like there's no, <laughs> these, these guys love each other. They are having fun together when they're not playing. Tatum was in the pool with Deuce while this was all happening. And Ennis Cantor embracing his role on and off the court. This is a guy who complained when he was with the Knicks about playing time, about not starting, um, had issues with in Oklahoma City and was vocal about wanting more of a role. He has barely played in the playoffs because of matchups. But he tweeted out after game three, haters going to hate with a video of Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown um, in an old game looking at each other after a a play and both of them with their hands on their hips and kind of like swiveling their hips to the right and then to the left and then back in this like little celebratory dance. And then both of them falling out laughing like this team uh, supports each other. They are tight knit. There are no problems between them. This locker room incident is not an indication of, you know, I think it's somebody said the team is imploding. No way, no way. Not even close. Even Grant Williams is getting into the act with all these pregame handshakes. He's doing rock, paper, scissors <laughs> with Jalen Brown. He's shooting 62.5% from three Ooh. in the playoffs. Yep. Um, this team, like they're not the deepest team, but but the ones that, that, that are playing are playing well. This team loves each other. They just need to keep the, their mental edge. They need to keep focus, and they need to get up every single time the heat pushes them down. And I think that they're taking steps toward that. It's just a matter of whether they can develop enough uh, in the, in real time to make a difference. Is this a case study of when a family is able to fight with each other and yell and get heated and then able to calm down and talk about it and have meetings, especially like the main people involved having meetings and hearing each other out and, and you can come back to this place of, you know, I still love you. Is this a case study that, that's like, the healthiest way to, to be as a family if you can do both, right? Obviously if you're yelling think, and screaming all the time, it doesn't work. I think it's, it is it is a communication case study, but it's more of that there are already established relationships, that these people know the other's intentions. So even though one of them can be upset and yell and scream, you know that why that person is yelling and screaming, it's because they care. It's out of love. It's out of a shared set of goals. This is not a Kyrie situation where he's got his own agenda or he's non-communicative or there are questions about whether his desires are the same as the team or the same could be said for Terry Rogier who needed a contract. Like the, there, are, everybody is pointed towards the same goals and they're just trying to figure out how to best work well together in order to achieve that. So you, that does allow for more of this, more communication that may look on the surface like it's a fight.
1: Yeah, I uh, and I... I... I fully agree with that, Adam. And I think I think when you do have those relationships and you know each other, that does afford a much a much long, well a longer leash. It allows for sometimes more direct and and occasionally abrasive communication, which isn't the best form in certainly all the time. Uh, but sometimes it happens, and then as you said, Josh, you have the opportunity to kind of have a a more level conversation once some of those the emotions behind that abrasive or kind of outburst type communication happens uh you once those have kind of those emotions have calmed down you can have a more level conversation to to really come up with productive steps forward mike you had a couple questions yeah, so this is shifting gears um uh, a fair bit from from what we were just talking about, though it, it relates to uh, an individual you just brought up, which is Ennis Cantor. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting in the last two games, Ennis cantor has got first of all, Robert Williams is just totally shelved at this point, two games in a row. yeah uh, Ennis but cantor over is and over first and over and over again this for, yeah, we don't need to talk much. about back. Robert Williams, what? but is Cantor's playing first big court. off first big off the bench. Wait, wait one sec, Josh. <laughs> um, first big off the bench played what, like five to 10 minutes in each of the first halves yeah. and then didn't play at all in the second half. And Grant Williams got the run. What do you guys think of that? Like approach by Stevens? What do you think the rationale is? Do you like the choices?
0: I think it's, I feel like it's a typical Stevens. Like, Let me see what this looks like and see if we can make a difference here. I think Robert Williams, I mean, he only played one game. He played 11 minutes um, in game one in this series and was a negative 13 for those 11 minutes. So clearly Robert Williams was not helping the situation. And I think that uh, Stevens didn't quite know where to turn. Uh, Ennis Cantor's a plus 18 in 15 minutes. Um, And he brings some some things to the table, that, like a rebounding percentage that is – off the charts compared to anybody else on the team. And he gives them a different look. And if you can cover up his defensive inefficiencies, then, which, which Hayward played a huge role in, and I, I talked about that, then I think you, you can play him a little bit. Um, do you, do you uh, think he should have played in the second half at all? No. no <sighs> Game this, three? So, this is above my this head. Is, so this, go ahead, this is so clear to me. The trend in the NBA is you, you go small at the end of games. So in the second half you're not going to play the big man who's big. You're going to go small. And you need to play the guy to close out the games who you trust the most. And it's only a matter of time before that's Grant Williams. I feel like he he's already the most trusted person, but he's a rookie. So, there's, so there was this debate even happening. Um,
1: if, if Do you fizere, think that's what it is? Yeah. I've been trying to figure no, it out. Because exactly I'm like, you know, Draymond Green. Did you guys see this tweet by Draymond Green? Yeah. Draymond G- Green tweeted out. He's like, Brad Stevens has got to start uh Grant Williams. <laughs>
0: like, wow, really?
1: Yeah. Uh I'm gonna to i I'll yeah. look it up right now. I mean go keep going, Josh.
0: Draymond was always the comparison for Grant Williams despite the fact that Grant Williams does Yeah, there's a lot the of narcissism country. in that tree. Yeah. He's gonna be in the right place on defense. So now the defense can move uh as a unit. You know, I forget the the term Stevens has he, that he keeps using over and over again is uh you know m- being able to move together. Um to be connected. That's what he says. Grant Williams shows that our defense can be connected. Like When Robert Williams is out there on defense, we can't be connected because he doesn't know how to do that yet, even though he makes up for it for all his athleticism and, and the potential fear he puts in the other team. Um, I, I think right. that you, you're going with Cantor in the first half because you're looking for some offense off, off the bench. And you know the second unit doesn't have the same size the other team so i don't like that move but i understand why he's doing it i i honestly would rather see robert williams in there in the first half but i like the move of going small and with the more trusted five man and grant williams in the second half yeah i've got
1: i'm gonna say some crazy things about grant williams in a second but before i do that uh draymond green's quote was boston needs to go with grant williams at the five i think this was after or during game two Put JB Jalen Brown on hero. Switch the pick and roll. That will take away the bam dive. Right. So maybe he didn't quite say Grant Williams needs. That was after he was calling for. That was on September seventeenth, which I think that was Game Two. I think that was it it was at nine o'clock Eastern um, on September seventeenth. So I think it was like right in the middle of of Game Two.
0: I think we all had some crazy reactions to Game Two.
1: Yeah, but okay, so. Do you think Boston's best lineup against the Heat in this series includes Kemba Walker?
0: Yes, yes. Okay. I think it's I think it's the, their big five with with Hayward instead of Tice.
1: I I wonder if I mean I guess for big defensive positions possessions at least would you keep who would you put out, would you keep Kemba out there and if not who would you put in there.
0: You can go offense defense, but you'd want Tice out there and Hayward, Smart, Brown, and Tatum. Yeah,
1: I wonder if against this team, Grant Williams might be a better option and for full switchability than Tice.
0: The only thing Grant Williams has over Tice is that he's not going to get fouls called him on him, you know, like in an inordinate rate that Tice will. Like in theory, Tice is who you'd rather have, but he's going to pick up the foul, so maybe that's the only reason you'd want Grant Williams.
1: I think what Grant Williams has over Tice, I mean, look, Tice is really, really, really freaking good, but I think Grant Williams has, you know, and this is where the comparison to Draymond fits the most, in my opinion, aside from just generally being a bit undersized is like truly elite anticipation. Like he reads the floor, his basketball IQ, his floor IQ is exceptional. Um, and I think I think when you have a super switchy defense, you need really, really high IQ players that have enough of the physical skills and mobility to, um, to complement their ability to read the floor flat, faster than most other people on the court. So I, I do hope he kind of keeps getting more run, though I think he was did not have a very good plus minus in game three, but I think that was a bit incidental.
0: Um, any other questions about the rotation, Mike? I think that was all of them. Josh, do you know, do you know who leads the team in deflections per minute by a wide margin? No. In, in this series? No. Brad Wanamaker. Hey, <laughs> significant margin.
1: Um, actually, one one other. This isn't really a question. It's just. Um, a moment, a moment of silence for uh, Romeo Langford's postseason. <laughs> is it over? <laughs> I don't know if it is, but that that one one minute or like fifty one seconds of run he got in game two was was a bit a bit bittersweet to say the least. Uh, Josh, were you were you super stoked to see him get off the bench, get on the floor, and then super sad to watch him uh, <laughs> immediately pull oh that obductor? Yeah. It was so upsetting. Well, I was it was like.
0: I mean my eyebrows were raised for 2 minutes straight when he was out there or 81 seconds and then he he got pulled and I'm like what like after all of this why would you put him in in that situation as such a surprise and and then why would you pull him and you know No he didn't get we pulled. Got the news. Oh, obviously yeah, okay, we got the news. Okay. But but in real time we didn't know he was injured right away. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's sad, but it's also like, you know, if you're me, you're going to play him earlier in the playoffs and really make him a part of the rotation and and you insert him i don't know i think it's a karma thing like you used him Uh-oh. at the wrong time and he got injured we're going again. there
1: we're going uh, there i don't want to go there i
0: actually don't want to go there <laughs> okay this pod's okay going way too well for for that take we can hide that take until <laughs> uh, until it needs to be said i, I appreciate
1: self-restraint <laughs> marcus mart really taking to heart the uh <laughs> the feedback from that 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 intense post post game two conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is this is a post win uh, game preview podcast. So, you know, the, the attitude would be different had we lost the last game or had this podcast happened as a preview for game 3 after losing 2-1. Okay. Marcus Marcus Smart said and I'm paraphrasing that the the thing with having all of this downtime and this time off between games 3 and 4 is that we get to think about the fact that we're down 2-1 and what we need to do to make sure that uh, we do better going forward. This this series, game four coming up. What do you guys see happening in game four? What adjustments do you see being made? What do you think? How do you think the Celtics will play?
1: I want to hear Coach Josh's take on on adjustments, both adjustments the Celtics will make and what you anticipate the Heat doing.
0: Well, I what I see happening is a shortened rotation for the Miami Heat um, with Igodala out with Kendrick Nunn's defense the way it is and, and them playing him less and less. Uh, I mean, you still have Derek Jones, but they're kind of down to seven or eight guys in their rotation. So it's looking like maybe there's a hope that that they're not as deep as they were when the series started or, or as deep as they seemed. Um, and I think that with my green-colored Celtics pride glasses on, I'm, I'm seeing a lead that we get in the first half like we've been doing that we are able to keep Uh, even with extra guys on the heat hitting threes that didn't last game, like even with Goran Dragic hitting a better percentage um, and and the other, the non Tyler hero, Jay Crowder, Duncan Robinson trio, who's always going to show up from three point line. It seems, you know, that that's the difference in the last game. I think from the heat, not being able to come back is those other guys outside of their top three were not hitting threes. Um, so even with full force, I see, I see the Celtics pulling one out and, and showing the maturity that I've been wanting them to show. What happened in the last 20 minutes, you went from pessimism, well, the game three was a win, but it felt like a loss. This team doesn't have it. Now you're think they're going to win game four. Uh, no, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying to be positive so that, I mean, when I look at the past, I see nothing different. I'm not, it's not like I'm looking at last game more positively. I'm looking at the future positively. I see that as a good role here on this pod. We don't need you to fake it. you be you. No masks here. No, I'm not. Look, I've, I have moved away from Boston close to 15 years ago now to live on the West Coast. And I no longer have that, no matter what happens, I just have this weird feeling that Boston's going to lose. Boston feeling that a lot of you Boston people still have. No, they don't have, we don't have it anymore, Josh. Uh, too many championships in this town while well, you've been gone. The expectation is to win now i that's not what i've seen on on this on the blog in the forums and you know all over that blog there's people hating stevens ready to fire him there's there's people who are thinking the worst about the future mike what do you see happening in game four
1: speaking of shortened rotations i expect the celtics uh i expect the celtics to likewise keep keep things pretty tight i'm um i'm expecting that we're going to see a Similar, but, you know, slightly better version of Gordon Hayward. Um, I'm really, really curious to see how much zone the Miami Heat are going to throw at the Celtics, how early they're going to go to zone defensively. You know, they haven't been starting out the game that way in the last few games. They did go to it for a bit not too far into the first half. And then they definitely went into it in the second half in game three. Um, but the Celtics were really effective at finding holes. I want to see, obviously, if that trend continues. Uh, and I'm not sure why it wouldn't. Jay Crowder had a had a um, mysterious comment saying there are going to be a lot of adjustments from the heat going into game four. So I don't know what those would look like. But uh, at, at the end of the day, it's it's you know, hopefully what Marcus Smart said is correct and that they're actually really focusing on what they need to do to do better. And they're going to come out feeling like they just lost the last game. Um, And they're going to play with that kind of urgency and desperation. I expect this game, unlike last game, is going to have both the Celtics and the Heat playing with a a higher level of desperation than we saw last game, um, where I just didn't think the Heat had that desperation, which is pretty common when you're up 2-0 in a series. So it'll be, you know, this is where one of those games where we're going to see if afterwards, um, you know, Josh, you're feeling like you can you can get that much closer to no longer calling him young Tatum. And, and it, there's going to be some really high leverage moments. Uh, and I would expect Jimmy Butler is going to be kind of in full intensity. Jay Crowder might get up there and uh Bama Adebayo might get up there and we're going to have to see if the Celtics can actually weather and bring bring kind of the mental toughness and grit necessary for this heat team. I mean, yeah, I'd
0: rather I'd rather
1: feel good about the Celtics. What did you say Mike? I th- I th- I think it's I mean it's an obvious statement but I think this is a really big game in the series um and I th- I feel good about the Celtics.
0: Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm expecting that there's going to be some adjustments for the heat. I'm expecting that the zone will still bother us, and I'm expecting that we're going to have to play for 48 minutes. Like, we deserve to win the game in order to win this one. And I'm looking forward to seeing whether the Celtics have the, the coaching term that I've created, patience, the combination of spacing and patience. I think we need to meet that sense of urgency with poise out there, um, and, and solid decision-making while continuing to be in attack mode. So, but in general, I'd rather be, I'd rather be disappointed at the end of the game than go into it expecting disappointment. Spatience.
1: (laughs) That's Adam's takeaway is.
0: Spatience. That's a, (laughs) that's a coach mode term right there.
1: Does that really work with players? That kind of thing? patience, really? Have you ever said it to players? Or did you just break it out here for the first no, time? No,
0: no, this is something I've said with my team. Yeah. yes. Yeah, so does that kind of thing work? Does it work? I yeah, mean are it's are they it's like, like, yeah, patience, Yeah, I like no. it. No. No, they laugh and they think it's corny, but they but they the point gets across, you know, of, of what they need to do. You know, like if that's the key to the game, that they need to have spacing and patience, like they get that. But yeah, they think I'm but they think I'm corny.
1: So you do not have former players with spations tattooed across like their inner forearm or anything? No. Um, I, I
0: expect that Miami to come back throwing haymakers in Game 4. Um, I think until proven otherwise, Eric Spolster is a better coach than Brad Stevens. And uh, I think his adjustments are going to make a difference. And I, I still have yet to see, despite Game 3, I have yet to see that the Celtics have the mental edge here uh, that they have the ability to focus for 48 minutes uh, to continue to be as aggressive as the playoffs require for teams to win and outlast more veteran teams um, which the heat are at this point so i mean i don't know what's going to happen in game four but i'm really starting to think about whether the celtics can win this series or not um and I'm not feeling super confident right now, but want to ask you guys how you feel about that. Can the Celtics win this series? And not like is it possible, but do you think that they actually have a really good shot at doing it? Do you think that they will? Of course they have a shot at it, and of course they are able to do it, but they haven't shown that they're going to based on how they've played so far. Right. But that can change in an instant with a young team.
1: I think the winner of Game 4 wins the series. Wow. Because I think I think the Celtics are gonna get the, the best shot from the Heat right now. And if they can if they can take it, then they're gonna get a level of confidence that they can meet that level of mental grit and focus. And I think I think the Heat have you know true are truly lead on that front. Um, and if they can't, then I think the series is over, right? So, yeah, um, we know
0: Mike Minkoff's always going to choose the statistically more likely scenario. And if the Heat win this game, and now they're up yeah, three one, it's if the more Heat, likely they're going to win the series. If
1: the if the Celtics win this game, it's still statistically more likely that the Heat would win, Joshua. But yeah, you I have think... to understand statistics to realize that. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think the next two games are must wins for the Celtics. Yeah, great calls guys. Great calls.
1: I just predicted that if the Celtics win this game, they're going to win the series. That is that is not exact it is far from a foregone conclusion that if they get it to 2-2, they're going to win the series.
0: Right, but you also predicted that they'd win in 7 as I did. Josh, any any big theories you want to share? No, I'm holding my hot take theory for when for either after a loss. Or, or for an, another pod, because this one's going too smoothly so far. It's too positive. I don't <laughs> want to take it down. Apologies. Yeah, it's too, it's too crazy for this one.
1: I, I, I caught it in the draft notes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's out there. <laughs> All right. Well, keep listening, and maybe if we're lucky, the Celtics will lose,
0: and then Josh can share his hot take. <laughs> no, expect the best for, for. Uh, For the Celtics for your your family and for everything going on in this crazy world of COVID right now it's uh it's one thing after another so expect the best keep that positive attitude that's what we need to do uh especially as Boston sports fans all right we will have instant reactions to I believe the next two games so keep listening thanks for listening to this one everyone